my mom uh, calls me Davy, but y'all cannot. So you have to come up with some other, some other way. I think maybe one of the things you could do, if it's David, and then there's something negative, some criticism, anything after that, if it's David and it's anything positive, We've been working through 1 Corinthians um, of a section at a time. I'm actually going to take a break from that this week. We'll pick it back up next week. Uh, today I want to talk about four key questions that we each need to be able to answer. These are core heart-type questions. I would actually say they're four of the most important questions anybody has to answer, uh, period. Uh, Proverbs says we live out of it, our hearts, the wellspring of life. We live out of that. These are heart questions. They're easy to overlook. Uh, we spend a lot more time thinking about lifestyle-type questions. Who should I marry? Where should I live? What should I do with my job? Those types of things. These questions are underneath all of that. And because we live out of our hearts, if these questions aren't answered well, uh, it will have negative impact on all of those lifestyle things that are secondary. Uh, in terms of, they're secondary in terms of kingdom. And I would say they're secondary in terms of life because we start with our heart and then live out of that. Unfortunately for us, the things that are in our face are these lifestyle questions. And so they get primary focus for us. And we can wind up, even as Christians, for decades not addressing these core fundamental things. And it can cause us a lot of unnecessary uh, pain. So four questions. First, they'll be up here on the screen. I'm just going to walk through them one at a time. It's a lot of information, so you can just grab on to whatever it is that you that resonates with you and the rest of it, uh, we can, we'll talk about over the course of our time together. First question, who are you? So who are you? It's an identity question. The goal is to establish a firm, secure foundation, our identity in Christ. So kind of this picture, we want to we serve, we want to bless others. Those are fundamentally selfless acts. Uh, but if I need something from you, it's very difficult for me to be selfless. If I need you to affirm me, if I need you to validate me, if I need you to include me, if I need you to do all those things, and it's difficult for me to truly serve and bless you because I actually need you to give me something in return. So what we want is we want to be secure in our identity as sons or daughters of God, and then we're free to serve and bless others without being without our identity being wrapped up in how they do or do not respond to us. Clearest identity statement to me in the Bible, it's in um, Jesus' baptism. This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. This is my son. That's a, a relational identifier. So the father chose to identify Jesus in relationship to himself. The father chose to identify Jesus in relationship to the father. He is my son. He didn't say this is the Savior of the world. He didn't say this is the Christ, the Messiah. He didn't say this is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He didn't say this is the Alpha and the, the Alpha and the Omega. He didn't say this is the King of kings and Lord of lords. All of those things are true. All of those are titles. Those are roles that Jesus plays. The Father didn't choose any of those to identify Jesus. Primarily, he said, this is my son. He chose to identify him based on their relationship. For us, that is equally true. Our primary identity needs to be as sons or daughters of God. For guys, we're prone to identify ourselves based on our role. I'm a pastor. I'm a lawyer. I'm an account manager. I'm, whatever it is that we do. When people say, who are you? We normally respond with what we do. There's nothing wrong with having 
a role. The issue is having that role be the fundamental identifier for you because what happens when your job changes? It shapes you at your core, and that happens to men all the time when they're either underemployed, they lose their job, they don't get a promotion they feel like they deserve, anything like that work-related. It's not just work. It affects who we are in our core because, again, that's who we see ourselves to be primarily. Uh, and so we don't, we don't want, again, it's, it's fine to have roles. We need those. We just don't want those to be the fundamental way we identify ourselves. I would say women, speaking stereotypically, tend to be different, define themselves based on their relationship with other people, mom, sister, daughter, friend, that type of thing, which, again, that's all fine to, de- to have those, to function in those relationships, but you don't want though that, that relational identity to be core to you because what happens when your kids grow up? You try to, you hold on and squeeze really tight. If your identity is I'm the mother of these kids, it can be very difficult for you to encourage them on to live apart from you, to encourage them on to maturity because you're not just encouraging them to maturity, you're losing part of who you are as a person. You've probably known particularly women like that. It's very difficult for some to actually let their kids go. I'm not just talking about going from high school to college. I'm talking about going from diapers to underwear and going from preschool to elementary school. Each of these transitions for some are very difficult because so much of the identity of the mom is wrapped up in being a mom. Moms are wonderful. It just can't be your fundamental identity. Fundamentally, you need to see yourself as a daughter of God, just like I would say to the guys. Fundamentally, you need to see yourself as a son of God, not what you do to get paid Monday through Friday. All of those roles and relationships, they will change for better or for worse. None of them are stable enough to build your life upon. We need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, we are children of God first. If I were to ask you to describe yourself, how far down your list is son or daughter of God? It's probably not in anybody's top five consciously. Again, it's not... It's not not saying that's what you put on your business card when you introduce yourself to people, but at least in your own mind, it needs to be at the at the surface. It needs to be one of the first things that you're thinking when you view yourself. And if you don't, then it could be an indication that you've got your identity placed in something else. So this is my son whom I love. I think this idea of um, the father's love is a fundamental issue for people moving from unbelief to belief or from uh, not being a Christian to becoming a Christian. I think the issue of God's love is is huge, and many of you, I know, you are Christians, you've been following Jesus for a long time, this is not news for you, you kind of get it, you get that God loves you, that he's for you, love is a posture, it's not a feeling, it's a posture that says, I want to do what's best for the object of my love, regardless of what it costs me, and you see that in the way, in Jesus coming to earth, the Father sending the Son as a demonstration of his love, he took a posture of love towards us, he followed that through by sending his Son to make a way for us. And so God is fundamentally for us. Again, I think for people who are struggling with whether or not they want to follow Jesus, one of the things that helps them get over that hump is coming to realize this great love that God has. A lot of the um, objections people have to Christianity melt away when you recognize the Father's love. Easy. What about all these people who never hear the gospel? And how can a loving God allow all those people to burn forever? in hell. That's assuming God is mean and that God is stingy 
with salvation. If you flip and say God loves everybody more than I love anybody, and he proved it by sending his son to live and die and to be raised again to make a way for us. It's still a difficult question what happens to these people who don't know, but it's not coming from this posture of God is stingy. It's coming from this posture of God is recklessly loving towards everybody. He went to the the degree of dying for people. So whatever happens to them, it's not that he's trying to keep as many people out as possible. He's made a way, and he's because we know he's died for us, he, he'll do anything within his power to save as many as possible. Again, you still have the question, but you're looking at it from a completely different perspective. Whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. This, to me, is the issue for many who have been following Jesus. I think getting the love of God is, 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 is important to say yes to Jesus. Getting this peace that God delights in you, that God is pleased with you, that's what it takes to continue to grow in him. And for many of us, that's where we get stuck. We get God loves us probably on some level. We think he has to because he's God and that's his job. But this other piece, saying God delights in me, God is pleased with me, that's not where many of us live. Zephaniah 3.17 says that it's true, though, that God does delight in us. This word well-pleased means delight in. And to think about that applying to you, that God doesn't just love you, but he actually likes you as well that his desire is to be in a relationship with you. He didn't save you in order to make you a servant because he needs you to do stuff for him. Isaiah 66, he says, Heaven's my throne and earth is my footstool. Where where are you going to build a house for me? I've got it all. He doesn't need us to provide anything to him. He doesn't need errand boys and errand girls. He doesn't need any of that. He saved us in order to be with us. Forgiveness of our sins just removes the obstacle to relationship. Sin is what alienates us from the Father. And so he deals with sin not as the end game, but as the first step to reestablishing relationship. The point has always been relationship. You see that in Genesis 1 and 2. Before the fall, God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. And that's what he's been trying to get back to since Genesis 3. Sin ruined what he created. And so from Genesis 3 all the way through, he's been trying to get back to Genesis 1 and 2, which is unhindered relationship with humanity. Forgiveness of sin makes that possible. So recognize that about you. This whole idea of having quiet times, we see that a lot of times as duty. I've got to do this. I've got to pray. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to make myself spend time with God. That's... His desire is to spend time with you. He looks forward to the time that you spend with him because he wants to be with you. He's not a lovesick puppy. It's not that. Jesus is your boyfriend type of thing. It's not that. It's a father who wants to spend time with his children. And so when we say we want to we're our quiet time, which from us looks like duty from his perspective, you could say, I think, without stretching too much, that's a, that's a highlight of his day, is spending time with his creation. And do you recognize that about yourself, that his desire is to be with you at that level? Not because he has to, but because he wants to. The parable of the prodigals in um, Luke 15, this idea of the son, the younger son, the rebel, runs away, the older son, the self-righteous, 
also moves outside. Neither one of them understand. The father wants them in the inside the house with him. He's not looking for servants. He's looking for sons and daughters. And that that is true of you. If you don't live out of the reality that God actually likes you, you're living at your, the identity piece for you is still warped to some degree. And not to get to Dr. Phil, the reason some of you don't get that God likes you is because you don't like you. And so I don't know which one of those things needs to come first, but that, that's the connection. You don't like you, so how can anybody else like you, much less God? I mean, you need to recognize he's already pleased with you. This statement was made before Jesus did anything. We don't know anything Jesus did before 30 except maybe disobey his parents by not getting in the car and leaving the temple when it was time to go. That's the only thing we know. No miracles, no sermons, nothing prior to this statement that God is pleased with him. And you need to rest in that as well. So first question, who are you? Second question, what are you doing? This is a question of purpose. We want to live the life that God has created us to live. We talk about this a lot here at Stonebridge. We call it doing your deal, Ephesians 2.10, that we are God's handiwork, creating Christ Jesus to do the good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. So if, if Psalm 139 paints this picture of us being formed in our mother's womb, personality, temperament, likes and dislikes, strengths and weaknesses, Ephesians 2.10 paints this picture of God also creating a life for us, and those two things fit together hand and glove. He's created you and all that you are, and he's created this life, and his desire is for you to live this life that he's created for you as the man or woman he's created you to be. It's not being versus doing. It's it's being and doing, or doing from this place of being who you are in Jesus. And so for each of us, we need to figure out this isn't about your job necessarily. This is how am I contributing to what God is doing in my community? So if God's desire is to transform our community, we'd all say, yes, Marietta is great, but it's not perfect. There are things that need to change in our community. That's God's desire. And his, and his expressed method is through his people. So how are you contributing to that right now? What are you doing that's furthering God's purposes? How is God using you as a channel of grace in the community that you find yourself, whether you've been here for a week like David and Jane or you've lived here all your life like some of you have how are you being used by God to further his purposes in our community and you may say I don't have any idea a couple of things that you can do you can look up God determines Hebrews says that we run this race that was marked before us we don't I don't chart my own course God has laid a, a race course for me and my responsibility is to run that I can't get Misty to run my race, and I can't run hers. My job is to run the race that God has put in front of me and to encourage y'all to do the same thing. So first thing I need to ask is, God, well, what's, what's the course here? If you're the one that designed it, then I need you to show me. Show me what these good things are that you've created for me to do. For some of you, there are things or verses in the Bible that really resonate in your heart. That might be an idea. That can be a clue to you. That that's one of the ways God is speaking. Uh, for some of you, you may have dreams, you may have visions, you may feel like God speaks to you in your heart. All of that type of supernatural communication, that's what it looks like to look up. If you think, well, that's not really me, I would say start asking. If you feel like, I, I really need something more clear than what I'm getting, then you can ask God 
for that. Ask God to speak to you through your dreams. It's fine. You don't have to be some super spiritual mystic for that to happen. Just say, God, speak to me when I'm asleep. Sometimes my brain short circuits what you're, what you're trying to do. So when it's not working, when I'm asleep, why don't you speak to me then? And then just record what he writes. And if it's, and we can talk about it. If, it's, if, you, if you're not sure if it's the Lord or not, we can kind of figure that out. You can ask God to speak to you. So look up, uh, look in. What stirs your heart? Um, if you like the phrase, what makes you cry? Whether that's tears of joy or tears of sadness, or tears of even righteous anger. In Nehemiah 1, he, Nehemiah gets this report that the wall of Jerusalem has been broken down, and he starts weeping. I don't know if you've ever cried because a wall was broken down, but that's what he's doing. This wall is destroyed, and his response is he begins to weep. And out of that stirring of his heart, he recognizes God's call on his life, the way he's contributing to what God is doing, which is trying to restore and return the people of Israel to Jerusalem is, I got we got to build this wall back. And so Nehemiah becomes a project manager. That's what he does. He organizes this entire group of folks in this massive rebuilding effort. Building, he's a civil engineer with people skills. He gets all these guys together. Not that the rest, are there any civil engineers? Is that rude? You, you, have, people, you have great people skills. <laughs> so... He organizes this whole group of people in this project to rebuild the wall. It stirred his heart. And so that's a question for you as well. What stirs your heart? We would all agree abortion is, is bad. It's, that's not good. But for some of you, that's, mm, that gets you way down here. It stirs you at a deep level. And that might let you know, hey, this is one of the, this is one of the places God is calling me to work. So look in, look up and then look back. All of us leave a wake behind us as we go through life. There's stuff that we do, and there's people who we impact. Some of our wake is positive, some is negative, but it's there. As we walk through life, we're leaving stuff behind us. Now I would say look over your shoulder and see what's good. Where do you see fruit? And be honest. This is not the time for false humility. Where do you see fruit in your life? If you were to look back, and seriously, who is better because you're their friend? And if you say nobody, that's not true. Who is better because you are their friend, and why are they better? How were you used in their life to make their life better? And it might be that you were just friends with them for a short season of time. That's fine. But how has God used you to, to make other people better? Look at the stuff that you've done. Where can you say, that? that's gold? That's not wood. That's not hay. That's not straw. That's not something that burns. That's good stuff right there. And again, don't be falsely modest. The Lord is using you. You need to recognize that. Where do you see fruit? What do people ask you to do? That might mean they see something in you that you don't see in yourself. What are you good at? What comes naturally to you? Sometimes you don't know because it comes naturally to you. So ask other people if you need to. Look up, look in, look back. That can begin to give you a feel for what God is calling you to do because he has something for you. If this is a point of frustration for you, because every time we talk about it, you're going, oh, just move on. I don't know. I'm tired of this. He has something for you to do. So we need to ask. And if you're tired of asking by yourself, then let's get some other people to ask with you. Come and meet with me. We'll figure it out. These are, If you're a person, God has good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do. And he's a good father. He's not trying. He's not playing hide and seek with you. He's not trying to see how high you can jump. 
before he reveals his will to you. So please, let's get together and let's figure this out if it's a point of frustration for you. So who are you? What are you doing? Where are you doing whatever it is that you're doing? It's an issue of, it's a question or an issue of place. And the goal for us is to be fully wherever we are. Jim Elliott was a famous missionary. He said, wherever you are, be all there. And that's what we want to do. We want to recognize the importance of place. As you read through the Bible, there's tons of names of places, and they're all hard to say, but they're important because that's where God meets people. He doesn't work kind of out here in the atmosphere. So He works concretely. He works in Nazareth. He works in Jerusalem. He works in Bethlehem. He works at the by the Sea of Galilee. He does stuff in towns, in villages, in homes. And the same thing is true for us. God wants to work in our community, and that's not this nebulous, ambiguous word. It's, it's the square. It's your school. It's the place where you work. It's your neighborhood. It's concrete and tangible. That's where God works, because that's where we live. We live in concrete tangible place and that's where God desires to work so where are you doing whatever it is that you're doing the great commission Jesus says go into all the world make disciples of all nations that word nations can be translated people groups and it could be for you you have a stirring for a particular group of people for high school students for refugees for single moms for the people on your street it could be that that's how God has that's kind of where you're supposed to work. It's not necessarily a geographic place. It's, it's a people place. It's with this group of people wherever they happen to be. That's what God, that is who God is calling me to be a channel of his grace to. That's not me at all. I was saying that now most, I push away from most people groups. I don't embrace very many of them because I'm not a people person. I don't think that way. But for some of you, you are. And that's how God is going to speak to you is through this He's going to say, there's this group and you need to go for them. And you may say, what right do I have to do that? I don't, I don't know them. I've not walked in their shoes. I don't have anything to offer. That's what it means to be a missionary. It's to be sent by God oftentimes to a foreign people. And the, re- the right that you have to go is because their creator sent you. And that's all the right you need. You don't have to have experienced everything that those guys have experienced. You don't have to have walked a mile in their shoes in order to have legitimacy in terms of ministry to them. What you need is calling from the Lord. So don't disqualify yourselves because you say, well, I'm not, I, I'm not one of them. If God has put those folks in your heart, then they are your people. You need to figure out how to get there. For the rest of us, uh, this is more where I fall. It's these walls. We've talked about these before. Isaiah says this, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. We've talked about these things before, these areas of influence in our community, and this might be more how God puts a place in your heart. It's not so much a group of people as it is one of these areas of influence. So theoretically, each of these seven, we call them walls, each of these walls should be strong and sturdy And just like Nehemiah had to rebuild a wall in order to rebuild a city, if there's no wall, then there's no people because there's no wall to protect them. So the wall comes first as a means of protecting the people who will then come and live within the community. The same thing is true for us. These things should be a source of what I would call common grace for the people who live in our city. Each of these things should be a source of blessing. I'm not saying they have to be Christianized, 
but they need to be a source of blessing. And I think we would all say they're all crumbling on some level or another. And God is calling us to stand on those walls and to begin to fix them. For some of you, it's that government legal one. I've said before, we've had about zero traction in that area. That's been the most difficult one for us as a church to really begin to see anything fruitful develop. It's a hard place to know how to get involved, and that might be for you. It might not be that you're a lawyer. It might not be that you're a politician, but that might just be how God is stirring you. You want to see righteousness or justice or mercy or something restored in those areas. Family, uh, that's one that oftentimes that kind of ties in with education, at least for our crowd, because we have so many people, uh, so many of our, some of our families are families of people with school-age children. It could be one of those two areas. We have people who foster as a way of um, working on that wall. We're partners in education with Park Street. We've been doing some things with them. We have folks who work with homeschooling groups, all kinds of different expressions in those areas. Church, that's kind of church of the capital C. We talk about the downtown body of Christ and trying to figure out our role with these other five historic churches that are in our area. And what are we supposed to be doing with them, with the first everythings, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterians? What are we supposed to be doing with those guys? And how does the church in downtown Marietta function as such? Business, we've got some guys who work with a group called Work Matters, and that's one of the ways that they're influencing that wall. This arts culture thing, we've had a guy write a movie, and we've had a girl write a book, and some guys that do a music festival in that area, science and medicine, some folks who work with Cobb Pregnancy, a crisis pregnancy center. There's a, a billion expressions in each of these areas of how God may use you. What's important is recognizing where do you feel called? Where? Where do you feel called? So you need to know the what, and you also need to know the where, or the what can wind up going sideways on you pretty quickly. Who are you? What are you doing? Where are you doing? What are you doing? And finally, lastly, how are you doing whatever it is that you're doing? This is a question of power. The goal for us is to be led or to be um, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You have two choices for in life. There's only two. You can either do things in your own strength or you can do things in the strength of God. That's it. There are no other options. Our default is to do things in our own strength. That's because we're people and it's also societally, it's what we teach. We teach independence. We teach pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. We teach figure it out. We teach be your own man. We teach all that. And it's not necessarily bad in a lot of areas of life. But it can cause some problems because it does move against what it looks like to live in dependence upon the Lord. And so our default, again, is to do things in our own strength, based on our own intelligence, based on our own abilities, our own connections, our own resources our own way of figuring out how to do things. It's a rowboat mentality when it comes to being a Christian. God, if you'll show me what direction to go, I know I need that. You show me, then I, I can get there. I just need to know where to go. And we get in our boat and we start paddling. A lot of times, at least some of the time, we can get where God's calling us to go. It's just a whole lot of effort and there's very little fruit because we've done it in our own way. I think it's Eugene Peterson who says, you can't do God's work in a non-God way and that's what it looks like to do things in your own strength i know what you're calling me to do i see the destination you've made that clear and then we kind of say i can take it from here god i'll call you if i need anything and we get in the boat and we start rowing the other option is to be a sailboat i don't just need god to tell me where to go i need him to 
empower me to get there. So I'm going to set up my sail. I'm not just going to sit on my couch and do nothing. I'm going to raise the sail and allow the wind of his spirit to move me at the pace that he desires and actually even the course that he sets for me. The comparison to maybe give you something more tangible. Abraham and Ishmael or Abraham and Isaac. So God promises Abraham and says, you're going to have a, a son and I'm going to, you're going to be the father of many nations. I'm going to bless everybody through you, blah, blah, blah. Abraham and Sarah can't have kids and years pass. Decade passes. They start going, is this ever gonna, are we ever going to have this kid? And at some point along the way, Sarah says, hey, how about Hagar? Let her be the surrogate, and then that promise will be fulfilled. And Abraham says, okay. And that's what they do. And it's dumb. It's just, it's 100% in their own power. It was custom at that time to do that. There was nothing necessarily culturally wrong with what they did. They just figured it out. Well, well, we've tried for 10 or 12 or 15 or 17, however many years, we've been trying to have a kid and it hadn't worked. So how about we know this promise is good. We know the destination and what we're doing, it's not working. So how about if we do this? Let's figure it out. It's a mistake. Got all kinds of problems because of that. Still, to this day, we've got all kinds of problems in the Middle East because of Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Ishmael, all of that. The other picture is Abraham and Isaac. Just wait. Just what You had to wait 25 years, which is a long, long, long time. But just wait. Don't just let him tell you where to go. Let him actually get you there as well. You have to cooperate for sure. It was not an immaculate conception, but you just wait. Don't go outside the bounds here. And you get Isaac, the child of promise. And those are our two choices. We can either have Ishmael's or we can have Isaac's. We can say, God, I know where you're calling me to go. And either I can make it happen on, in my own strength. He still has a kid. It's just a disaster after that. Or I can wait on you. I can allow you to lead me to be, to empower me and have a child of promise. And that's that's the choice that's before us all the time. Our default, I would say for everybody, you may be an exception, but my conviction is our default is always to do stuff in our own flesh, and it requires intentionality to do things in the Spirit. It's easy for us to become rowboats because we're rowboats in every other area of life. It's more, much more difficult for us to be sailboats because we have to yield a little bit. We've got to trust a little bit more and oftentimes that's the direction and the wind is blowing that way and so that we wind up we don't get it sometimes how God is leading us and again the temptation is to then take matters into our own hands I was talking to a, a couple of people after the nine o'clock service and they said I'm good being a sailboat I just wish he'd give me a rudder he's not going to give you a rudder either because then you get to steer it's, it's not how it works he that's there's a trust piece that comes into play. And again, it's an intentional thing by us. It's not a one-time decision that you make on a Sunday and say, okay, I'm going to be a sailboat, and then you're a sailboat for the rest of your life. You've got to decide every day that's the way you're going to choose to live. So who are you? Most important, that's foundational. If you don't get the who are you part piece down, the rest of it is going to be striving. And so you, you don't want to do that. So who are you? What are you doing? Where are you doing whatever you're doing? And how are you doing whatever it is that you're doing. Let's pray.
That's what I want you to do as you close your eyes. I want you to think of those four questions. Which one would you say, I got that one. I feel good about it. It might not be a 10 out of 10, but I'm, I feel pretty confident. And if you would say none of them, then pick the one that's the least bad. And, we, and then uh, take a couple of seconds, and in your heart, just thank the Lord that he's done that in you. It's easy sometimes for us to look at how far we have to go and we forget how far we've come and all that God has done. And we don't want to be ungrateful at all. We don't want to despise his work in our life. Oftentimes it's, he plants seeds. He doesn't plant full-grown trees. And we don't want to despise those small beginnings. So, Lord, our thank you. God, I thank you for the men and the women in this room and the way that you've been at work in all of our lives. God, there's never you're never lazy. You don't take a day off. You don't take vacation. You're always at work, and we thank you for that. God, we thank you for the, the places where we've cooperated with you, and we want to say yes to that. The places where we've said, where we've said yes, the places where we've yielded uh, to your direction. God, I thank you for the people who are confident in their identity as sons and daughters. I thank you for the people who know the things that you've called them to. I thank you for the people who know where they're supposed to plant and set down roots. God, I thank you for those who would say, I'm living by the Spirit versus in my flesh. Now I want you to take the one out of the four that you think is the worst your weakest, lowest score. And I want you to acknowledge that in your heart before the Lord. And I want you to ask him to help you. You just have to say help. You don't have to have anything fancy. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that you're patient with us. You're not tapping your foot, waiting for us to get it. You're so gracious and kind. And so, Lord, my prayer is for those who are, those of us who tend to do things in our own strength, God, that you would convict us when we start doing that tomorrow. You would show us tangibly what does it look like to be a sailboat. We're so conditioned to be rowboats. It's difficult to switch. Show us what that looks like. God, for those who don't know where they're supposed to be, either because they're new, they kind of just landed here, or they, they haven't thought in those ways before. God, I pray for eyes to see this week where their place is or who their people are. There'd be a tenderness in their hearts that maybe hasn't been there before for people or place. To let them know this is where they need to put down some roots. God, for those who don't know what these good works are, it's a point of frustration. They've asked. They, just, they don't know. They're not hearing anything. God, I pray you'd speak with clarity. And you would speak quickly and convincingly to these folks. And God, for those who 
struggle with identity, with liking themselves, with realizing that you like them. You struggle with love, receiving love from you or identifying themselves primarily as your child, not what they do or who they're connected to. Lord, I pray that you would do that work in hearts, that we would all be confident and secure, not in this kind of self-esteem way, but just the freedom of knowing that we're children and all the pressure that takes off to perform. never asked us to sing for our supper and you're not going to start God the, the again just the freedom that comes from knowing we don't have to earn approval and favor we don't have to earn because you've freely given pray all this in Jesus name amen you guys can stand up we're going to close with a ministry song um, uh, a worship song We'll have ministry teams here in the front.